Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. In this episode, we put your questions to those standing for election with the Gibraltar Social Democrats. Gibraltar, of course, goes to the polls on Thursday, the 12th of October. If you're not sure if you're registered to vote, you can check the Parliament website, parliament.gi. In the studio with me were the GSD's Atrish Sanchez, Giovanni Origo and Youssef Elhana. We'll go straight in. Uh, we've got one here, which is from Sabrina. Uh, it's uh, for Atrish. Is the GSD planning to implement education, health and care plans for children and young people with special needs. Good afternoon, uh, Jonathan. Uh, well, yes, there's a clear commitment um, in a manifesto which ha- um, describes plans for the GSD to uh, look into um, developing a code of conduct um, and special educational needs and disabilities from the age of 0 to 25 and within these are the education health and care plans for children um, between the ages of 0 and 25. So this is a clear commitment that you can find in our manifesto. Okay, there's a question from Cathy. Um, I don't think it's uh, directed at anyone in particular. Uh, Cathy says, In Laguna, Mr. Picardov uh, has said that the play park has been closed due to antisocial behaviour. Um, and she says that it means that all children are being punished due to the behaviour of a minority. And for Cathy, um, she thinks that a guard could open and close uh, that park for a few hours until the situation is under control. Um, your your views on this? I mean, I'll, I, yeah, I'll go ahead first. I mean, and then colleagues could jump in. I mean, antisocial behaviour um, is unacceptable because it uh, affects other people. Um, but uh, but we also have to remember that we have to look at, at the root causes and um, why that antisocial behaviour is happening, what are the reasons behind it, and, and what has led some of these young people uh, to feel that they needed to, to do these things. But absolutely, I think it's important. I mean, there's an, in a couple of estates, there are uh, guards that keep an eye on, on the parks, that open the football pitches and, and close them at certain times during the day. And of course, you know, we, we don't want anyone suffering as a result of this. And those other young people that haven't done um, any of this antisocial behaviour deserve... Um, their time to be able to play and, and mingle with other with other people their age. How big a problem uh, do you think anti-social behaviour is, Mr. Rigo? Well, as like uh, Yusuf rightly points out, and as we can see from the question that's been formulated by one of members of our public, anti-social behaviour is prevalent and people are suffering as a result from this. Uh, many of the people who are affected are people who are actually not anti-social themselves. And As Yusuf correctly said, we need to tackle the issue at source and this is something that we need to do on a holistic level. There's a lot of youth groups and youth centres that could be used and people who are qualified and professionals that will be able to guide and assist and mentor these kids. There's a way that we need to behave and we need to behave properly and I think that this is, although not a very massive issue in Gibraltar, there is kind of pockets of antisocial behaviour and it needs to be properly dealt with. Okay, we've got a question that has come in from Matthew uh, and we'll be able to hear him asking it. How long would you envisage it would take administration to bring in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Disabled and do you think it would be brought in in full within the first term of office? 
or at the very least, certainly bring the legislation to Parliament. Who would like to take that? Um, I'll take it. There's um, a clear commitment from the GSD um, towards the full extension of the UN um, Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. This is something that is a priority for us. We will work towards um, the extension of this convention. And there's also uh, a commitment within our manifesto to a full assessment of the legislation in this area and towards the the full enjoyment of persons with disabilities, their families, their carers, so that they can um, have access to this right, uh, these rights and the full enjoyment of these rights. So we are com- fully committed to developing AM strategies, a d- an overarching disability strategy. As we said, a SEND code of conduct, a care quality commission, which is also imperative, and towards doing everything that we possibly can to improve everything in this area, which we feel needs improving. On the UN Convention, we've heard uh, the, at the time, Chief Minister Fabian Picardo talk about uh, the need to do it properly and to make sure that um, when it's brought into effect that it doesn't um, result in the UK uh, being foul of uh, the the obligations that the convention carries. Are you confident that uh, not only would the legislation be uh, passed, but that we'd be able to meet the demands in it? Of course we're conf- confident that if we do it properly, we give it the priority th- that it deserves. But we also make sure that when we develop an overarching strategy, we do it in a way that... Um, brings different strands of government policy together. So, for example, um, I'll give you the example of um, the active uh, travel strategy. uh, strategy. So when we develop these types of strategy, we need to ensure that we develop them with accessibility and disability um, as a central theme to them. And so we need to consider, for example, that um, persons with disability need to be um, considered and need to have consultation in this process. Now, when I review, when I looked at this document, I found that this this was lacking in 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 this document. And when you move about around Gibraltar, you would see that it's very difficult for persons with disabilities to move around Gibraltar. So, for the full extension of the convention to be um, a reality in Gibraltar, we need to move in a direction where accessibility, where buildings, where our streets, where our bus stops, where everything is is more accessible and where we would be able to comply with, with the convention. And this needs to be given the priority that it deserves and that it needs. All right. And Mr. Alhanna wanted direction. to say something on this? I was about to add. I was about to add. Thank you so much, actress. Absolutely, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I, a massive thank you to Matthew for his question. And having spoken to Matthew recently as well, I think what we're what we're lacking here, unfortunately, at home and in uh, in Gibraltar, is a, a more people-centered approach. Uh, people with disability or people that belong to the disabled community uh, feel they're not heard. They feel that their experiences are day-to-day experiences and not being heard the way they want them to be heard. And all they're asking us to do is make sure any approach, any changes, or any decisions that are made on their behalf are made with their input, and it's and it forms part of a wider multidisciplinary team approach in a sense and 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 if that's done correctly then uh, absolutely 
Kathy also sent a question about buses. Uh, she wants to know if you would reinstate buses that allow more than two wheelchairs or buggies per bus. Um, uh, have you got a policy on that? Well, I believe this is something that also needs to be re- reviewed and it comes back to the point that I am making. If you you look at strategies that um, look at um, travel around Gibraltar, you need to put people at the centre of it and the way that they travel around Gibraltar and their needs at the centre of it. So more consultation needs to be had with people and the way that they move around Gibraltar. And if that is one of the areas or the difficulties that they are having, then we need to look at that, review it and, and review the changes that need to be made. While we're on the subject of travel, um, I'm sure you'll have noticed that the GSLP Liberals have pointed out that uh, the GSD pledges to enhance road safety by introducing a point system to sanction traffic offences, a system which has been in place since 2022. Your comment on that? Sure, I'll start. Um, Yes, it has been in place since 2022. But I would really like, and again, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't know the figures, but I'm pretty sure quite recently on social media, I saw a post by GBC, if I'm not wrong, that the first person to receive penalties as a result of that point system, uh, you know, it only happened a couple of, of months ago, maybe, or weeks ago. So, you know, how, how effective has that been? Has that actually been implemented? Has there been enforcement of it on our roads? Or has it not? And it's just been a, you know, a policy that has been, has been announced that n- hasn't necessarily been, been tackled in that way. I, I, I mean, I think it has, it has be seen some people um, accumulate points and, mm-hmm. and in any case it would be for the Royal Gibraltar Police rather absolutely. than the policy makers, no? No, absolutely. And again, and, and touching on the Royal Gibraltar Police, I mean, you hear around the streets, you know, people uh, discontent about um, enforcement of, um, well, no, enforcement of many things. Uh, across Gibraltar, but we we tend to forget, unfortunately, that our Royal Gibraltar police are stretched quite thin. Their morale is hasn't been the best, and 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 it's not their fault. At the end of the day, the resources that they have available to them, the tools they have available to them at their uh, at their disposal to be able to do their jobs effectively and properly, and this includes, of course, the penalties, the the the, the penalty points, and and everything else that that falls under the remit of the Royal Gibraltar police. Um, that has negative repercussions later on as a result of, of the fact that, you know, that they're outstretched. Well, let me ask you another question uh, which f- kind of flows from that. David wants to know what your party's plans are um, about or towards parking zones and what your thoughts are on a private company controlling both parking and fines. Who'd like to take that? Um, well, no, we'll start, I guess, well, I'll start with the, um, I'll start with the, with the zones. Uh, and then we'll take it from there. I think it's a great question. Um, the zones, as we've seen, have worked in certain areas of Gibraltar and in other areas have not. Uh, we are committed to looking at the zones in depth and in detail, making sure that they serve the people of Gibraltar, that they allow people who not only live in certain areas to be able to park freely, but also allow their families coming to visit them or their carers or their loved ones that want to come and um, and spend some time with them, that they also have the amenities to be able to park and not have to worry about something like that. So we will look at it in depth. Um, and our commitment is to make sure that anything we decide serves the people of Gibraltar to the best uh, of its ability. Any comment on a private company controlling parking and fines? Is this uh, problematic or or just the way the way that it runs? 
Well, if I can help, and at context of that, it all depends what the structure of that company is. So companies, some most companies are designed and built, set up to make a profit. And if we have a company that's solely focused on making profits and issuing fines for the purposes of making profits and not applying the road rules adequately, then that's something that needs to be looked into. So, for example, you might hear a person who's parked in a parking space and literally stopped there for a, a minute to do something really quickly, and they might be even close to the vicinity of the car, and these guys might come and don't give you the light of day. They are very... They penalise you. Their main priority is to fine, fine, and fine, and to make money. And if that is the way that these private companies are operating, then that is something that should be... I mean, you're asking the question, what's your view on it? Do you think that that is how they are operating? Well, uh, personally, yes, I I think so. I believe some areas are more heavily scrutinised than others, and I think that the parking system should be monitored across the board. There are issues with regards to parking and people not using the proper spaces or not having the proper permits all around Gibraltar. And it's uh, really unfair that they can't confine themselves to certain areas and target certain peoples from certain districts. Sometimes a lot um, happens in Lionwall Road, for instance. It's a hot spot for this. But it would be... Uh, I imagine, I haven't uh, checked this, but I imagine that it would be a government-owned company, so any profit would go to the government, wouldn't it? Yes, if any profit's going to the government, and if it is government-owned, but you said it, we weren't really sure. Is it private-owned or government-owned? I think the question started with you saying that it's a private-owned company. Sorry, I, re- I read out David's com- um, uh, question, Sorry. but it would be a reference to Gibraltar uh, GPMS. No, uh, um, no. What's it, what's it? I haven't, I'm missing out one letter there. I'll check that. I'll ask yeah, you another question. I'll look it up and I'll, if, and I'll check it. If I can touch on one thing, Jonathan, on, on this, before we go into another question, I do apologise for, for cutting you off. I think... There's a big picture that, that we really have to look at here. And when we talk about zone parkings and parking in general, um, you know, there should be more parking available for owners of Gibraltar vehicles. Foreign vehicles should be required to use paid parking. And unfortunately, again, there's lack of enforcement. And as I mentioned before, law enforcement is stretched so thin, lacks of support and resources and not able to enforce those things. But in addition to that, there are so many parking spaces that have been taken up by abandoned vehicles. And, 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 and again, we commit to a purge of these abandoned vehicles when we come into office and to allow more space for Gibraltarians to find parking for themselves and their loved ones. Okay. Uh, it would be Gibraltar Parking Management uh, Services, um, which is a limited company, uh, and I'll double-check whether that's government-owned or, as David says, I mean, it, it, so, private or, or, or who, who that money would go to. Um, uh, Right, let's ask another question which is on the same topic, which is from Cathy. Uh, what would you do to alleviate both car and motorbike parking issues? Would you, for example, reinstall motorbike parking behind the old police station? And would you, for example, limit the number of cars per household? Who would like to take that? Yeah, I'll start. Um, so one of the things we commit to in the, in the manifesto is exploring the possibility of underground parking in the Grand Parade. So putting underground parking in the Grand Parade and making sure that, you know, um, on top of it, uh, it's laid out as a green area, green park with, with lots of facilities for Gibraltarians to be able to enjoy, to alleviate some of the issues that we have with parking. At the same time, we also commit to increasing the number of disabled parking spots. But as I mentioned before, and I go back to my point, um, there has to be a purge of abandoned vehicles uh, because if not, they're occupying public parking spaces that need to be freed up. That's something that would free these things up. And at the same time, again, if 
we have paid parking, yep. it should be directed at foreign vehicles rather than Gibraltarian vehicles. Okay. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Eric says on disability, uh, what is the GSD's view on the comments by Sir Joe Bosano uh, defining people by their lack of abilities and what would you do to reverse the damage that they think uh, his comments have caused, especially uh, on people with disabilities? Well, I'm happy to take this one. Um, I think that um, I'll speak for myself. I think that I made my views um, clear at the time when the comments were made in relation to this about the language that Sir Joe used um, and the comments that he made in relation to persons with disabilities. Um, I also believe that we are all human and that people make mistakes and that um, people... Um, you think people should forgive Sir Joe for his comments? I think that people... Anyone who has taken offence? I think people make mistakes and I think that uh, people um, deserve to be forgiven for the mistakes that they make. But I think people can also judge the humility that is also shown in the, the process that, that, that involves making these mistakes. And I think that in that process it is then up uh, to people... It is up to the people to decide um, how they choose to forgive and it's then up for the electorate to decide how they judge Sir Joe in, in what the, the comments that he made. Yeah, and if I, Jonathan, can quickly add to that now. So you're saying, do we think that, just the, that people with disabilities should forgive Sir Joe's comments? Well, first, in order to forgive him, he must first apologise, I'm assuming. So um, he can receive the forgiveness from people who have been offended. But personally, my opinion on this... Um, the academics behind uh, persons with disabilities have been developing at a steady and progressive rate over the last decade. And one of the things that have been introduced is, for example, person-first language. So we don't say disabled people anymore. We say persons living with disabilities because the disability does not define them. And I think it's totally um, wrong for a person who's an actual minister of a government today's day and age to be using that kind of language it is inappropriate it should be um apologized for and then i hope that the disability or persons with disabilities may choose to forgive him because like i said we're all entitled to our mistakes and i believe this is one of them okay the uh, next question is from tamara who says what will the gsd do to improve supported employment well i i think that this is an area that needs to be improved and um the, the, the GSD um, will work on this area to create uh, pathways and improve support, uh, supported employment opportunities um, to um, employ more job coaches, uh, more trained staff and to um, improve um, the, the area um, of supported employment by introducing supported internships, apprenticeships and to create supported employment opportunities that are meaningful and that provide um, long-lasting and fulfilling um, opportunities for the mem our members of uh, the community that need uh, support. Sorry, if I can add on that, and I'd like to take it back to um, the question we had on EHCPs, or Educational Healthcare Plans. If we go back to basics, if we make sure we invest time, dedication in the planning and in the support 
of students or, 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 or people in general who will end up in supposed employment or who need supposed employment, these educational healthcare plans act as um, they act as a foundation, and that foundation allows you to build on understanding their needs, on being able to cater for their needs, and on being able to to properly mentor and coach and get people to the standards that the, um, they need to get to to be able to access supported employment, to be able to access supported employment um, properly. So I think it is a multidisciplinary approach. We have to start with the basics. We have to get the basics right, if, if the basics right if we're going to be able to have a successful plan for supported employment in the future. Yeah, and if I can add on that, it's the, the, the crucial point of the educational health care plans is that it, it extends support for young people up to the age of 25 mm -hmm. through education, uh, through health, through social care, but it focuses on aspirations, the aspirations of young people putting them at the centre of their decisions and their families at the centre of their decisions, and it focuses on outcomes, the outcomes of employment, the outcomes of opportunities and on their own aspirations and I think this is very important and this would be crucial on in improving um, the, the support and, and the, the opportunities offered to them in relation to this area. We've got a question from uh, a nurse who says uh, he and his colleagues worked through the pandemic uh, and had their annual leave cancelled, were clapped by the community, but yet no one mentions a pay review for nurses and they've had none since 2011. What are the GSD's plans or does the GSD have any plans in this respect? Um, well, I think it's it's also clear in the manifesto that in the very first instance, an audit um, will be carried out of the health service, and this would be something that would be uh, take be part of this audit. And there's also a commitment to to um, review the the pay freeze and and to be able to support um, uh, people through the cost of living crisis, as we. Um, uh, sort out the public finance issue which is obviously going to affect um, the way that we help those in the community. And, and to add on that I think it's, it's you know, we are aspiring politicians and we are going to have a voice that we're going to use for all the people of Gibraltar so it's impor important to make this heard. Nurses, frontline workers, emergency service workers law enforcement agencies they gave a lot during Covid they put their lives at risk, they put their families' lives at risk, and we have to make sure we acknowledge that, and we continue to thank them for that for 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 as long as for as long as we can. But you know, clapping for someone doesn't put food on the table for them. So it's important that yes, of course, we can show our appreciation through clapping and through different gestures. But it is important that we take care of the foundations and of the pillars of our health system which are our nurses and everyone working uh, within our hospitals, within, again, not just the health system, but, but across, across our community. Chris says that the GSD talks a lot about audits uh, and that that is not necessarily an easy thing for people to vote for because they don't know what they're going to get. Let's be honest. Oh, sorry, I jumped in. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. So... Look, we haven't been the GSD in government for the last 12 years and we have contradicting information being fed from the government camp. On one side, we have Sir Joe, who comes out very openly and calmly and says, look, there's no more money. On the other hand, we have Fabian, who will come out and say, look, we have money and we're going to do all these fantastic projects and don't worry, I got the finances safe. 
if I had to decide who to believe between Sir Joe and Fabian, well, there's been another example where they, these two have disputed before. Um, that happened only a year ago with the GFA Stadium. One was saying, we're going to use Savers Bank's money. And Fabian was saying that we were not using Savers Bank money. And we've only just recently learned a week ago that the, there's a private consortium of banks. They're going to fund the stadium project. And it was always going to be the Savers Bank money. Sir Joe was right. And if you have to ask me who would I believe now in this instant, whether we have no more money left or there is money left, I'm more inclined to go with Sir Joe. The impact of that, of course, is that we will have everything much clearer once we come into government. What we want to do as a GST is empower the civil service, empower the professionals. We want to come here with a fresh view, fresh lens, ask the right questions, make sure that the per people working in the civil service have the powers to do the things that they believe should be done correctly. They've been working in those industries for a lot longer than we have, and they are the right persons to lead us forward. So I think that is of paramount importance. We say we view, but it is a reality of the situation. I think if we... Sorry, and, and just, to, just, to, just to follow up on, on what Giovanni said, you know, we're going into an election. The electorate is listening. Do you want to hear promises and fairy tales that you deep down know are unattainable? Or do you want a government that speaks to you with honesty, with integrity and with transparency and tells you, look, we will do our absolute best to make sure that we audit or we review or we study um, all these different projects that we will commit to and make sure that the, the decision we make at the end is... Um, a decision that has that, that has been you know that, that we've arrived to thanks to the contribution and to the ideas of the people of Gibraltar and I think that's extremely important for them to understand and for them to know and again you know we, uh, the way our financial situation is we don't have to say any more if I could just add something to that um, I think it's important to stress that this this is a GSD which is future focused and which wants to change the way of governance to one that it that is currently reactive to one that is proactive and so we need the, the the audits are essential to be able to do that so if i bring it back to the area of special needs for example we need to have to to commission audits independent audits and i want to add the word independent because that's very important we need to have these audits to be able to uh, uh, review working practices but also to be able to get the statistics that are going to inform that proactive approach and that future focused approach so that we avoid making the mistakes that have been made in the past so that when we build Build schools. We build schools that are big enough, and that are not at capacity a year after opening. In mental health, we are seeing mental health as being an issue that is affecting a lot of young people. So, what do we have to do? We need to, um, and we need to have an audit that gives us statistics, with statistics, so that we can um, create future-focused uh, policies and strategies, so that we can look towards the uh, the future and we could have we can have proactive policies. So I think people need to understand that when we say we're going to audit, we are going to aud uh, audit with a frame of mind um, to create future-focused policies. Now, uh, a short while ago, uh, both uh, Mr. Rigo and Ms. Sanchez talked about, um, you know, forgiving people who have made a mistake. And uh, that brings us to a question that we want to put to Mr. Elhana on the back of the statement by the managing board of the Jewish community uh, last night. Um, they say that you, Mr. Elhana, have failed to condemn cruel anti-Semitic statements that uh, you associated yourself with in the past and that you haven't yet totally distanced yourself from them. Will you do that now? 
Thank you for the opportunity, Jonathan. And I think it's very important um, to address this. And, and I'm really, really thankful for the opportunity to be able to do so. Um, it's a pressing matter. And I am happy to directly speak to our Gibraltarian Jewish community. I thank the managing board of the Jewish community, of course, for their clarification. And I believe it's only fair and beneficial for me to do the same. Um, I've wholeheartedly and, and, and as honestly as, as I can apologized for the intemperate and, and, and unacceptable use of language. And of course, people will interpret it how they choose to interpret it. I have been as honest and as genuine as I've always been to everyone in our community. I've been able to observe life from two different lenses and it's allowed me to understand, love and appreciate humanity and our community even more. I have to speak of context here and I would like to explain that we all come from different backgrounds and are exposed to many different experiences. These exper the experiences I was living at the time of these comments were extremely traumatic. I was a young man witnessing death and destruction on social media, followed by the silence of many around the globe. Some of these images continue to haunt me to this day. I have seen comments on social media that I believe are key to address in order to reassure our beloved Jewish community. I have never, and I will never, call for the destruction or harm of any person, of any faith, or any background. Did you march with people doing so? No, I did not, and I'll address that now. Um, so it's unfair to even suggest that. Um, I'm not associated with any organisations, as the statement claims, and I have always stood against injustice and apartheid wherever it may be happening around the world. I've always advocated for peace, Jonathan, equal rights and justice for all the communities of the Holy Land. This peaceful demonstration, and, I, and I'll, speak to, I'll speak about it directly because it's important that everyone knows about this. It was a peaceful demonstration I went on with 200,000 other individuals. It was perfectly legal and supported by many UK politicians, civil societies and human rights organisations. At no moment in that demonstration would I have ever accepted any comments of anti-Semitism, hate or discrimination coming from anyone. On the contrary, there were people of all faiths and none, people of all backgrounds, and the demonstration passed by number 10 Downing Street and ended up in a rally in Hyde Park where many different people spoke. This, you know, it has nothing to do with the shameless and disgusting anti-Semitism that was committed in parts of North London, and we all saw those videos, which I can only again describe as a stain on humanity as a whole. I just want to speak about something else that I think is very important. Can, can I just ask Sorry. you then to clarify, you have never called for the destruction of Israel and the drowning of its people never, in the Mediterranean never, Sea? Never, never, never. Um, I, I want to speak of, of, of this next point that I think it is important to share with, with the Jewish community and with everyone in Gibraltar. I'm, 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 I'm one of the fortunate beneficiaries of the Learning from Auschwitz project. And I've learned so much uh, from 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 the lessons uh, from the lessons that we that we were all you know exposed to in Auschwitz in Poland, and I still hold them very close to my heart. I vividly recall us visiting Auschwitz Birkenau and witnessing the remnants of systemic hatred towards Jews that led to atrocities of the Holocaust. How I, a human being, along with many of my peers, broke down at the sight of personal belongings, for example, of toys, of people's hair. That's still that is with me to this day and I will never forget it and, I, and, and, and honestly it's something that I, I have learnt so much from and something that I would never ever even you know have the intention of you know uh, speaking of or, or, or speaking to I also remember the words of Bernard Offen and I remember his name when, when did we go he went in 2011 if I'm not wrong with school and I remember his name to this day and I remember what he said to us and he was, Bernard often was a Holocaust survivor that we were, that we were lucky to meet uh, during our visit to Poland. And he says, we can forgive, but we cannot forget. For forgetting is allowing the same to happen again.
And look, I would be a hypocrite if, you know, I myself have suffered at the hands of discrimination, Islamophobia, hate and fear. And it would be hypocritical of me to even consider inflicting such feelings on my fellow Gibraltarians from the Jewish community. That was never and will never be my intention. Of course, I've made mistakes, but I am human and we make mistakes. For, you know, to address something else on, on, on that statement, for the first time in my life, Jonathan, I hear of the claim from the managing board of the Jewish community that I have difficulties with Jews or that the Jewish community has uneasiness towards me. I have served many Jewish families as a, as, as a volunteer of St. John. I have, you know, I, I joined St. John when I was nine years old. And as I, as I grew old, I was able to, to drive the ambulances and, and to take patients up and down, to take them to, 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 to Zanit, for example, to different places in Spain when we were still allowed to. And, you know, that, that service, my duties of care, love and empathy, were always my biggest drivers in serving my Gibraltarian community and my Jewish community. I mean, in addition to this, I'd like to refer the managing board to my track record and my actions. These have been documented via GBC and other outlets, of course. And with the support of so many other young people, we've done our best to promote our uniquely diverse and vibrant community through interfaith initiatives and public events. I've always worked with members. I've also worked with members of the Jewish community, and I will continue to do so in the future. I am sorry, just to, just to, just to finish this point, because I think it's very important for me to convey um, my true feelings. I am as part I am as much part of the Jewish community as they are of me as and, and as we all are of the wider Gibraltarian family. The support, friendship, love and community spirit I've always received in the past and in the present from members of our Jewish community is something I will always appreciate from the bottom of my heart. And I think a dispute thousands of miles to the east will not dictate how we choose to embody our relationships with each other. And as recently as April, when we had the public after, was one of, of the examples of this. As I've said in the past, and, and, I'll, and I'll come to a close because I don't want to I, I take any more time, I'm happy to discuss further with members of the Jewish community and I genuinely look forward to meeting more of my Jewish brothers and sisters in the future. Okay. And for now, let's focus on, on the topics at hand. Yeah, Thank well, you. we've only got one minute left, but okay. let me put Sorry. a question from Jeslin uh, to uh, the GSD candidates. What's your stance on free childcare for children of working parents? Mr. Origo and Ms. Sanchez? Um, well, I think there's, um, there's a commitment, I don't, I don't think I know that there's a commitment to review uh, wraparound service, uh, services in the manifesto and provisions for that. And um, there's, a, there's commitments to improve um, the provision for nursery um, childcare provisions and offering that to working parents. And there's a, there's a whole review that's going to be carried out um, in relation to that and how we can support uh, working parents and support them more um, in relation to the support that they receive with their children and so that they can, okay. they can Ta receive... Time is up, I'm afraid. <laughs> We've been very strict with our timings on these GBC election programmes, but thank you. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar Today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.